0: Well, a group of us at church um, have been working over the last couple of weeks to, or actually we've been working longer than that, um, to work on the fighter, fighter verses uh, from Bethlehem Baptist Church in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, each week they, they have verses which are in, intended for us to memorize so as to help our, our fight for sanctification, That's the name Fighter verses. we need to fight for our sanctification sanctification doesn 't just happen it 's something we need to strive for. And the idea is is putting god 's word in our heart to, to direct us to the resources we need to walk rightly, whether that 's focusing on Christ and the gospel or or whether it's speaking about, about God and His greatness, or whether it's speaking about the comfort of love of, of God even when we fall, or the, a call to holiness. And these verses are, are, are very good. And, and all these things help to, uh, to draw us from our sin to help us walk towards God. The idea is Psalm 119, verse 11. right? I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if you're interested in more information about that, fighterverses.com is a, it's a great place to go, and we will just continue on that. Uh, Tina does a good job every week in our weekly word and our stuff for Sunday that she puts out email just right there if you want to work on that. I know we work on those uh, as a family uh, a, a little bit. Well, uh, uh, about two months ago, um, the, the fighterverse schedule began a memorization of Psalm 34, and as I saw that and calculated just how everything was going to end up, I noticed that on this Sunday, my first Sunday back from vacation, the end of Psalm 34 was was coming. And so as I, as I thought about that, I didn't know much about Psalm 34 before two months ago. And I thought, you know, this, this might be a good exercise for church. And as you know, I tried to make resource available to you. I tried to encourage you to, to memorize Psalm 34. It just might... Might absorb today's message in a in a fresh way, in a different way, having meditated on Psalm thirty four uh, for weeks. I know that we and our family and our family worship have been going over Psalm thirty four a lot, and uh, we got that little song, right? Maybe some of you can sing it. I know Thatcher Thatcher did, right? Just. Um, I will bless the Lord. If you know what's singing, sing it just a little bit. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Okay, we could sing the whole thing. We're not going to sing it. But my kids got to the point and they said, Dad, are we going to listen to that again? But, but just knowing I'm going to preach on it, we meditated upon it. We thought to, to memorize it. And I challenged you to memorize it. And if you did, that's wonderful. If you didn't, that's okay. Um, if you only memorized a part of it, that's okay. If you're just familiar with the phraseology, that's okay. But but if you memorized it, I want you to even say it out loud with us. I'm just gonna, gonna step aside here. We're gonna do Psalm 34 from memory, and it might just be a few of us or it might be a whole congregation. I don't I have no idea how many of you really took the challenge to try to just memorize it. And I know that some of you give a testimony, just said the words are really ministered to you. And so let's just let's just say it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who quit the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Okay, now that was entirely new for me. Last couple months, entirely new for all of you, and I trust that for those who put some time into it, this message will, will speak to you. I, I know that the, the, the words have spoken to many of you who have uh, just meditated on that. You can't, you can't help but that, to, to bless the Lord at all times. In fact, I've even caught Stephanie particularly kind of humming and singing that tune, and even David, I've caught him humming, humming and singing that tune. I just trust that the, the word in your heart uh, will help. Well, these words were written by David at some point after his encounter with Abimelech. You can see there in the superscript, it says, of David. That means that it's if David wrote it. Um, by the way, this psalm is an acrostic psalm, meaning that if you could look at the Hebrew text, it starts, verse 1, with an Aleph, which is an A, and then verse 2 starts with a Beth, and then a Gimel, and a Dalet, and a Hay, and a... Zion and Yod. all those letters of the Hebrew alphabet those start the different verses there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet that's why we have 22 verses just a mnemonic device to help them but David wrote that it didn't constrain him but it just helped him it was a memory device it helped him to remember it but David wrote this here's the occasion when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away that's the context that Phil read for us in First Samuel 21 uh, before Achish, the, the king of Gath. Uh, a, a common name for a king is Abimelech, like Pharaoh is a common name for a ruler in Egypt. So, likewise, uh, rulers in, in uh, Philistia were called Abimelech. Uh, that's just the king. The Melech means king. Uh, the fa- Abi means like father. Father of the king is kind of what it is. It's like he's the, he's the supreme potentate, if you will, he's the, he's the Pharaoh there. And David wrote this when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, if you remember what what uh, Phil read for us this morning, you know that David found himself in a difficult situation. Saul had turned against him and was trying to kill him. So, so David leaves Israel in the mountains. And where else is he going to go? He could go in the wilderness, which he'd done before. But this time he went down towards the sea, towards the Philistine territory, which was in Gath. And he found himself there, trying to lay low. But the boys of Philistia found out about his presence and and they brought the situation to the attention of the king and said, hey, look, is this not David? Did they not sing to one another of him in the dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, but David is 10,000. You can read this. Saul has struck down his thousands of Philistines and David has struck down his 10,000s of Philistines. So he's there in Philistia. And you remember also, that uh, David had killed Goliath, their the great hero. So here was David, deep in enemy territory, exposed and in danger of losing his life. And David knew full well of the danger. 1 Samuel 21, verse 12. So David took these words to heart, what they said about how Saul killed thousands of Philistines, and now David killed ten thousands, and he took it to heart. And 1 Samuel twenty-one twelve says, he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Now, afraid is maybe an understatement because here was enemy in enemy territory under, subdued by the control of the servants of the king. It, it, all it took was one word, one sentence, right? He could have been like the queen of hearts, Akish, and he just said, Off with his head! And he would have been off with his head. And had Abimelech given his permission, I'm sure the Philistine servants would have been very happy and delighted To kill David, just as David had killed Goliath a years before, but to save his life, David became an actor. He became a madman. In First Samuel twenty one thirteen, we read, "So he changed his behavior before them." The same idea, right here in chapter thirty four. In chapter thirty four, the superscription, he changed his behavior, and he pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the door of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. I'm not exactly sure what it means to make marks on the door. Maybe he made them with his fingernails or maybe he made them with his teeth or maybe he picked up some pot shirt or a rock or some metal thing and, and scraped on the door, but just something that wouldn't be expected of somebody. And uh, But I do know what it means that he let, let spittle down on his beard. Now, I've never before been able to illustrate this before. This is the very first time I've ever grown a beard. Okay? This is the very first time that I've ever you know, gone more than four weeks. So I can illustrate this for you. But Yvonne says, no. You really thought I was going to do it, didn't you? <laughs> we we were in, in family worship the other night and uh, kind of reading over 1 Samuel 21. And I said, Esar, Esar, why don't you imitate that for us? Because he's got more of the, the, the Hebrew beard than I do. I mean, mine's just, mine's just starting out. And so, but he's... Uh, he said, no, no, I don't then I get stuff all over it. And then I got to wash it and stuff like that. that. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be pretty. But I'll just leave it to your imagination. I I show restraint. Anyway, when David was presented to the king, the king said to his servants, behold, you see, the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house Right? In other words, he's like, i got enough people to deal with. Why this person? And I'm not sure if uh, the king thought this couldn't be the same one that killed Goliath or maybe you're, you're mistaken. I'm not sure what it was. But somehow, through David's acting ability, he was set free because the king didn't say off of head, his head. The king said, let him go. And so David fled to the cave of Adullam. First Samuel 22 verse 1 speaks about that, where he was joined by 400 of his friends and his family. So, so picture this. He, he feigned his madness, and, and he escapes, and he gets, he gets to this cave, which is a place of refuge, which was not in the city of Jerusalem, was out, outside of there at this military gathering place. And he was there with his friends. And, and I can easily imagine that Psalm 34 was written at that time Because the words make so much sense of what he might say to his friends and family having just escaped from the king of Gath. I I can easily picture him around his friends telling them of what happened with uh, the king and the Philistines. How he was standing before the king himself and how he was delivered from their hands. Verses like verse 4 would be very appropriate. He says, guys... I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. You remember 1 Samuel 21, how it speaks about how he was very afraid. And God delivered him from his fears. In fact, there's one emotion that comes to the psalm. It's it's fear. He feared for his life, but lived to tell about it. And verse 6 would have been appropriate for him to be gathered around these 400 people. He says, this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I mean, nothing is more, more piteous than a, just a, a beggar just on his knees just pleading. And that's what he's talking about. I was a, was a poor man just crying to the Lord. No resources of myself, but all my resources of God. I, I was in trouble. I had nothing. But God saved me out of my troubles. Verse 17 and 18 would, would be a good transition to Teaching. The people, he, David just says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. This is exactly David's situation. He's in trouble, feared for his life. He was brokenhearted, crushed in spirit, and God delivered him. In fact, that's the message of this psalm. God delivers. In fact, that's the title of my message this morning is, is God Delivered. He delivered David from his troubles and, and from his fears, and even the promise comes right here, verse 19, right? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How clearly it states that the life of a believer is a difficult life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We're going to see in this psalm just, just incredible promises of deliverance and help. And it's, because, it's not because life is, is so good for Christians and believers and followers of Jesus, but it's difficult because it says... All right, like in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You want to live a righteous life, there are afflictions that will come. As 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because the world doesn't like those who believe in God, who walk in a righteous way. But the promise is that the Lord delivers them out of them all. That's the same promise, of verse 17 and 18, right? Verse 17, He delivers them out of their troubles. God, verse 18, He saves the crushed in spirit. So I just say this, before we even start looking through the, the text here, I just say, are you afflicted today? Know that God delivers. Do you have fears today? Know that God delivers. Are, are there troubles or worries or problems in your life today? know that God delivers you feel crushed and humbled by life today God delivers I mean that was David's experience and and that's what Psalm 34 is teaching about he's teaching about his own experience that God delivers us and and of course you think about just extrapolating that to the teaching of the Bible it's it's that God delivers us through Christ from our sin that's our ultimate deliverance, right? So we, we, we stand before God as condemned in our sin. And as we believe in Jesus, God is the one who ultimately delivers us from our sin. And we'll, we'll see that even in the last portion of the psalm. It's kind of where the psalm is going. But my outline this morning is two points. I take them from Kidner's commentary, which is excellent small little commentary. And uh, the first one is this, verses 1 through 10, rejoice with me. That's the call of David. Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. He says, I'm exalting the Lord, I'm magnifying the Lord, I'm lifting him high, and I want you to join in with me. I mean, there's the, the invitation, magnify the Lord with me. Come with me. Let us exalt his name together. He's he's calling the crowd. He's saying, let's do this. I can just picture him with those 400 people that he's got there over the cave of Adullam. Come, let's worship God together. He delivered me and now join with me, rejoice with me in my deliverance. And you know what? This is how God built us. God built us to praise him, but God built us not only to praise him, but to bring others into that adoration and praise. God, God built us to share our praise. illustration of that came the summer vacation when Yvonne and I and our three children, SR and Hannah and, and Carissa, went on a backpacking trip. We went to the, the Great Basin State Park in California. Now, we, we hiked through the, uh, the redwoods. And, and it was the highs were 80 each day maybe, 75. We hiked in the shade because the trees were so, so high in abundance, and uh, we slept at night. The lows were maybe 65. It was, really, it was really comfortable. But the beauty there was amazing. We're talking, we, we had um, sections of this hike that were through the old-growth redwoods. Now, we're talking thousands of years old, the, these trees. Um, and you know we're, we're talking 10, 12, 15 feet in diameter, so to, to give you an instance, like like this stage here is about, uh, I'm not sure, maybe 15 feet in diameter, 15 feet. So imagine like, like that, 250 feet tall. So picture a football field and then just kind of go, whoop. Now, that's a, this is 30 feet tall, by the way, in here. So picture, picture 250 feet tall. Even one the the three hundred and twenty feet tall was like the tops. So we're not we're not talking. I'm not exaggerating here. We're talking. We're walking through these these trees, and, and we're even walking on mountains. And and there are times when when we bend a corner and just go, wow. Why do you say wow? Here it is. You want to share your awe. You want to share your worship. Yeah, I'm saying by this when I, say, when I turn a corner and see a giant redwood tree and I say wow I'm saying I am just amazed at this tree I want you to come and be amazed as well I say wow and you say help me now wow. yeah, that's how it works because we're, we're built to share our praise and our glory the guys you're watching a football game right someone makes a great play if you watched the Bears last night, pardon, pardon, Packers fan. There's a guy, Mitchell, never heard of him before. He made a great play like over this guy and everything in my life. Like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you guys come out and see this? But <laughs> it's hard for me to share my football glory with my family because they're not so interested in football. But you guys know what we're talking about. Hey, come see this. Come see this. this is why NBA basketball does so well because these guys can jump so high and they can dunk so well or gymnastics. They float around like it's amazing. We're always amazed, and we want to share that. Like, whenever you see something that's just amazing, you won't just say, oh. you want to say, wow, that's great, and you'll find some other people to, to share in that. And that's all that David is doing here. He's saying, saying, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We see in verses 1 and 2 how he is praising the Lord himself. He is resolved, probably with new vigor, of how he's going to bless the Lord, because remember, he's just been delivered from the king, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. There are commands in the Bible that we need to rejoice always. right? There are commands in the Bible that we need to pray always. But if you truly understand what Christ has done for your soul, those commandments will just flow from you. You will pray always. You will rejoice always, Philippians 4.4. 4 because it, it comes from you. And so likewise here, David understands his deliverance, the salvation that God has given him, and he says, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. It just naturally flows. In fact, that's why many of us come here each Sunday, right? We know that God has delivered us from our sin and we're, we're filled with praise. And that's when we gather. We gather on Sundays to worship the Lord. And so we, we do that together. Our desire isn't simply just of ourselves to worship God. We, we want to join in the chorus. We want to join with everyone. We want to magnify the Lord with each other. We want to exalt His name together. And I just say, may this be the heartbeat of our church, that we might stimulate one another to praise and adoration and worship of of God. So I I should encourage you, share your victories. Share your deliverances. Share in the ways in which God has been your help. Because that's what David does. David just gives his testimony in 4, 5, and 6. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And verse five even speaks about about looking to Christ. It says, "Those to look to Him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed." I'm reminded of Moses when he went up on the mountain and he went face to face with God, and when he came down from the mountain, his face shone because he was with God. And when people are with God, there's a happiness and a joy that comes from that because you got a security in there. And, he, and his testimony again—that's probably maybe when he was telling this to his friends, his face was like shining and joyful. David, you're so happy. Why are you so happy? Well, I just was delivered from death. And now I, I live. And, and I was in no circumstance to save myself, right? I, I, was, I was desperate, but I sought the Lord and he, he saved me. In verse 6, he described himself as a poor man. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And these verses, interesting, David's giving all credit for his deliverance to God. He said, it wasn't me, it was God who delivered me. Now, again, if you go back into 1 Samuel 21, there's, there's a great lesson for us to learn here. Is It appears that when you read 1 Samuel 21, he was responsible for his own freedom, right? I mean, he, I don't know where he got this plan, but scraping the nails or scratching the door and, and spittling on his beard and, and probably was, was talking crazy, maybe walking crazy. Who knows? But, but that's the thing that convinced the king of Gath to, to let him go. And, and and you read for Samuel 21 as as Phil did for us and there's no mention of thunderbolts coming down from heaven <clears throat> or no voice from heaven saying saying Akish let David go or else right no vision that he had you, you remember when Abraham went and lied about his his um, wife sister Sarah whatever and 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 Pharaoh was there and uh, and God appeared to Pharaoh in a dream. That was miraculous. We say, yes, God delivered him. But, but there were no visions, no dreams, no miracles, no, no earthquakes to open up, up, up prisons. No angel that's coming in and walking you out the gate. In fact, if you read First Samuel 21, it doesn't even mention that God delivered me. God helped me. And yet, when David looks back on his encounter with the king, he gave all credit to God. And, and, and I think that there's a great lesson for us to learn here. I mean, one is that, is that first of all, David, I think, fully understood God's, God's hand in the thing. It says, uh, Proverbs twenty-one-one: The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. And I think David fully understood that, you know what, uh, uh, Abimelech's heart... Is like water in the hands of a Lord. And he just swayed him to let me go. But see, David fully understood that his deliverance was due solely to God working in the king's heart. Causing the king to, to will to let him go. And rather than killing him on the spot, the Lord turned the king's heart to let David go. And would the truth be known, God's fingers are in our lives far more than we know and realize. That accident that you just missed. That place you didn't go. That boss who's persuaded to give you the raise. That teacher that helps you this. That person in the neighborhood who is there for help. That, I mean, you just just start going and realizing that that God's fingers are probably in more of our lives than we think, where we might just attribute it to happenstance or circumstances or a fortuitous event or something that just looked good or something just happened. I think God's hands are, are far more. And I would encourage you in you sharing your stories, share little stories with each other. I mean, David was here on the brink of death. That's a great story to tell, right? But But maybe you can tell the story like, like our family, we we drove from uh, Illinois to California, and it's a thirty-hour drive. I'm rounding a little bit, and it took us thirty-two hours to drive there. That means that in thirty-two hours, we we weren't moving for two of that hours, and that's like stopping for gas, running in to to do our bathroom thing, or grabbing something to eat, or doing something really really fast. And uh, so that means that. A lot of us are sleeping on the way, maybe not paying attention, and uh, it's really important that the driver pay attention to the gas gauge, <coughs> Sorry. And um, so, so I'm we're driving down the way, and I'm you know watching the back of my eyelids, and all of a sudden I hear something about, um, um, is there a gas station coming soon? <laughs> i think we need gas and so we looked and uh, on the gas gauge it was down to down to pretty low and uh, in our car it's got a little display about how many miles um, you can go on your tank of gas okay and uh, our, our, our tank goes whatever 400 miles or so something like that well when sr realized this the number was at 16 and we're in western nebraska where, like, we're talking between cities. I mean, you could be 50 miles between cities or between... And we're like, wow. And we didn't pray. It's not like we were sanctified. We said, oh, God, we are out of gas. We need your help. We just kind of like, kind of before we know, as soon as you said that, bing, up pops a green sign that said, exit one mile. And so we went, and there was this town called chapel <laughs> an appropriate name for us right it's a town called chapel and it was a small town i think they probably had one gas station and it's typical in these towns so we had we got off and went down about a mile of the road and went to this only gas station and i think typical these places probably close at whatever 10 o'clock at night or something like that they don't, they don't, and it was it was whatever 6 or something like that but how easy it could have been eleven thirty and they're closed and and we're calling roadside service something. But but you know what? I, I think God's fingers were over us. I think I think he protected us. And, and maybe that's a little story to tell. And so what's the worst thing that happens? We're out on the road and we've got to call our cell phone and call roadside service. or That's what you do nowadays with your cell phone. You don't flag anybody down. We're not going to walk so far. But it would have been hours until someone got out to the middle of western Nebraska because there's not a lot in western Nebraska. But there's just an opportunity to say that that here we we were in trouble and god looked after us and provided us a gas station in chapel nebraska and we praise him for that and isn't isn't god good and gracious come magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together and and we should be sharing those kind of stories all along all the time it's just just circumstances happen because if you believe in the sovereignty of god you believe that god is orchestrating all things for good romans eight twenty eight, and he is is bringing us and protecting us. In fact, look at verse 7, right? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. If you fear the Lord, there's a promise, a surrounding angel to protect us. The story that comes to mind here, obviously, is that of Elisha, told in 2 Kings chapter 6, where the king of Syria found out that he was in Dothan. And so overnight, sent his army there and surrounded the city. I don't think Dothan was a very big place. I think he surrounded the city with his army. And uh, the servant was, was scared and feared. And he said to Elisha, an army with horses and chariots is surrounding us. Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prayed, oh, Lord open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord answered his prayer and he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just that, that God was protecting Elisha through the hosts of angels. That Elisha knew full well. You are immortal until God deems the day you die. Psalm 139, the days that were ordained for you are written before there's even one of them. You're immortal until that day because God is protecting you, and if you're fearing the Lord, it's the angel of the Lord who is surrounding you and protecting you. And so here was Elisha surrounded by his his angels, and Elisha prayed, "Please strike the people with blindness," A- and the whole army goes blind, A- and then they escape. They escape the Syrian army. And and I'd say this: what was true of Elisha is true of every God-fearing man or woman today. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say angels. It says the angel of the Lord. If you look through the Old Testament, there are times the Old Testament speaks about this particular angel of the Lord. And if you do, you, you, if you study that and kind of look at these circumstances, you'll find that the angel of the Lord is unique. The angel of the Lord does what only God can do. When the angel of the Lord speaks, it is the Lord speaking. He is often identified as the Lord, though he is distinguished from the Lord. You catch my drift? Those of you who know the theology know the angel of the Lord, many theologians believe, is who? The pre-incarnate Christ. He is the Lord. He is different from the Lord. He is God. He speaks as God speaks. And so here, this promise... It's exactly the same promise that Jesus made at the end of Matthew's gospel. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a comfort that we have that Christ is with us until the end of the age. Because the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And you ought to know that when you're delivered, when you face any kind of, uh, of help, Christ is right there. His fingers all over your circumstance. So let, let's give praise to God. Let's believe this. Like like Elisha's servant is just a matter of faith. And with us, it's faith and understanding. Let's just pray that God would open our eyes to his involvement. Let's pray right now. Father, I, I pray that as Elisha prayed <clears throat> for his servant, that you as well would open our eyes to your, your presence and involvement in our lives. Father, I, I would pray that we would see just the... The various deliverances that we have or, or escapes or, or, or calming ways from our fears or, or, or the way the peace comes across us, which passes understanding. Maybe we don't understand it, but we, we, we know that it's Christ who's with us. So I pray we might see those and recognize those. And then, as David did, be bold enough to talk with others and speak with others about these things. So, oh God, so help us to be like Elisha and see And to be like a servant, to have open eyes to see, God, that we might trust you in all these ways. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you doubt that, I just encourage you to take the challenge, right? Today, there are different sorts of challenges, right? There's the cinnamon challenge, right? There is the ice bucket challenge. There's the salt challenge, right? right. For those of you at youth camp this summer, you remember what the salt challenge was. So there's, there's the taste challenge here. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, in our house, we have a youngster who is taste challenged. Many foods that our youngest, David, just doesn't like. Vegetables. <laughs> Thumbs down on the vegetables. Mashed potatoes. Thumbs down on the mashed potatoes, anything green. <clears throat> okay, so as good parents, what do we do when we set before David something green? <clears throat> kids, okay, kids, what would a good parent do? Huh? <laughs> what do you say? Was that Wyatt back there? What was it? Emma? Was it you? Spank him. At the very last resort, all right. <laughs> but what would you do, kids? What's the good thing for a parent to do? it? <laughs> put food coloring on it. Yeah, turn it to red, right? <laughs> okay, we could do that. All right. Here, here's a good parent will cut off a little piece and will say, "Taste it." Right. You just, you just need to taste it. And it might be through many tears, and it might take a while, um, but pretty soon, I think David has pretty soon learned the art of it. We were at dinner the other night, and Yvonne says, Well, David hasn't had any broccoli yet. And I said, No, I gave him broccoli. He said, David, you eat it so fast. He said, I want to get it over with. And so he just took a little veal and took his milk and, and got it down, and it was done. But you know what? Why do we do that? We know that there will be a day when what? He's going to like it. there's going to be a day when he sees that green is not his enemy. But, but he realizes that green is good and he's going to like his salad. He's going to start wanting salad. It's happened with all, all of our children. Now, some have been slower than others, but it's happened with all of our children that eventually decide that they, they hey, they, they like this salad. It's not, it's not so bad. But but we encourage them just to try it because today might be the day that you truly see that. And, and if you're doubting the goodness of God, I just encourage you to take the taste test. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. So, so put him the test. Just say, God, I'm going to... I'm just going to taste. I'm going to see. And if you're trusting and believing, you will see that the Lord is good. David here is saying, try Him out. You see that He is good. He's the one that surrounds those who fear Him. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that delivers us. He's the one right, who, who takes refuge in Him, knows the blessing of God in his life. So, so, so put your trust in Him. Taste of Him. And realize he's got good for you, not evil intent for you. The blessing comes explained a little bit in verse 9 and 10, describes what. what so, so, what does tasting mean? What, what, what does it mean that we should see the Lord as good? Well, seeing the Lord as good is hearing these testimonies of other people and seeing, wow, God has been good and gracious to you. But verse 9 says, right? Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Sounds a lot like Psalm 23, verse 1, right? Help me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Same Hebrew verb here. Same concept that I won't want. Those who fear Him have no lack. They have no want. Those who take refuge in Him and and submit to His shepherding care lack no good thing. In contrast to the wild lions, right? The, The wild animals, Quite frankly, if you were a, a wild animal, there are times you go hungry. When, right, if, you're a, if you're an African lion and you're waiting for the wildebeest to come by and you wait all day and no wildebeest come by, you might go hungry that night. You're just waiting because you've got to get that. And then, then you binge eat for a while when you catch that wildebeest if your cubs won't get it enough. But there are times when wild animals will go hungry. But unlike the people of God. God, there's there's no want that the people of God will have. There's no want that those who fear the Lord have. Listen to the promise of Scripture. I mean, I'm just going to pull out a few. You can pull out a lot. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, just like a dad cares for his child, so likewise will God care for us if we but fear him, reverence him, honor him, worship him, God will have compassion and care for it. Is that not the goodness of God? Or Psalm 115. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. You fear the Lord, God's blessing will be upon your life, whether you're a big shot or whether you're a small shot, both the big and the great, the small and the great. The king to the servant, the rich to the poor. The black to the white, the tall to the small. I mean, across all lines, anyone who fears the Lord will be blessed of God. Psalm 84, verse 11, the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You walk uprightly with the Lord, you walk rightly with God, you fear him. You, you obey His commandments. You seek to walk in covenant relationship with Him. And no good thing will He withhold from you. Now, that's not that we have everything. Okay, It's not that we have an abundance of stuff. It's that we have all our needs met. And He puts in our heart a delight. that We find ourselves to be content in God because He provides and protects in all ways. And we know what He provides is is good. So, with David... We must turn our praise to God. We just rejoice with me, as David says. So rejoice with me, and I'm just trying to give you a reason to rejoice with me. My second point will go faster. Um, he says, "Learn from me," verses 11 through 22. And, and here he, he he sort of turns a little bit, and he, he starts to to teach them. Rather than just saying, "This is my testimony," these are things I've learned. Now, why don't you learn them as well? Verse nine could be part of that. Verse eight could be part of that, um, but. I started in verse 11 because verse 11 clearly has just an exhortation here. Come, oh children, here it is, listen to me. Right? In other words, learn from me because I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You want to know what the fear of the Lord is so that you can be blessed, like blessed are all who take refuge in him. Verse 8 says, you want to know how how it is that, that one who lives a a God-fearing life? Well, here's how he describes it. Verse 12, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? It's like, I think that's everyone. I think now there are some exceptions, right, of those people who seek to take their life early. But in general, we want to live a long, healthy, happy life. And so the, this, verse 12 is really a rhetorical question. Who, what man is there who desires life? and loves many days that he may see good. What, what man is there? Well, it's, it's every single one. It's all of us. Well, here's his advice. This is what it means to fear the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good, and seek peace and pursue it. David there talks about our talk and our walk. Right. Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking deceit? Let you talk. And turn away from evil and do good. And seek peace and pursue it. Be a peacemaker. Be a do-gooder. Be a righteous one. Those are characteristics of those who fear the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Proverbs says. You just look at what Proverbs says. It's these things. Speak rightly, live rightly. In covenant relationship to God. So, here's my Why do these things live to a... Uh, lead to a long, happy life. Here it is. It's because of God's favor. The next verse, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. In other words, God looks down upon the righteous and, and He listens to the righteous and He's favorably disposed to the righteous, to those seeking the, the ways of God. And he'll hear their cry and he'll come and he'll help them. But that's not the case with the wicked. Verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. See, those who, who spit at God refuse to believe in God, right? walk contrary to his ways. They face God's opposition. Would you rather face his favor or his opposition? His favor leads to a long, happy life. And his opposition leads to a, a difficult, hard, short-lived life. What do you want? Well, just follow the Lord. I mean, it's so, so open and obvious. The choice is there, but many want to follow after their own lusts, and so they follow after their own ways and face the wrath of God. But in general, here's the truth, right? The, the righteous will live a long, happy life, and the wicked will have their life cut short, perhaps. In fact, I remember Mike, a friend of mine in college. We both entered as freshmen at Knox College. And uh, I wasn't a close friend of his. I mean, it was more more of an acquaintance because, by way of illustration, he went with a different crowd than I went, if you know what I mean. Uh, But we played basketball together. That's where I got to know him. And we played basketball on the the JV, Junior Varsity Team, which is filled with a lot of freshmen. Well, it spun around, and I I think it was um, Christmas break. So the next year, my sophomore year, he didn't play basketball. He was a good football player, didn't play basketball. He played the first year. It was obvious he wasn't going to play. He was a good athlete, though. But during Christmas break, I believe it was New Year's Eve, uh, he went to a New Year's Eve party, got snockered drunk, and um, probably maybe with drugs too, and uh, ran a stop sign and got run over by a semi-truck. And I remember coming back to school and uh, having a memorial service for him. And uh, she was killed instantly and and done And it was interesting It was about, I can't remember Maybe five years later, eight years later I can't remember I was in the work field, workforce Working for Arthur Anderson And I I met a guy who went to high school with Mike And he said, Mike was a crazy guy Wasn't he? (laughs) I said, yeah, he was a crazy guy I mean, he was doing stuff That was like, whoa In fact, even Mike had confessed to uh, my, my friend at work He said, I doubt I'll live to 25 That's what he said why? Because he was engaged in sinful behavior. And, of course, that's where that leads, and that's where he was. He, the face of the Lord was against him, I believe, because he was accustomed to doing evil. <clears throat> but the one who fears the Lord, seeks a righteous life, will know the blessing of God. God will look down on him as favor. In fact, that's what 17 and 18 are talking about. It's the, it's the, the ears and the eyes of God which are looking down upon the righteous with favor. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I just say this, the the longer you live, the more you're going to realize the troubles are around every corner. And it's, it's not that we're ever going to escape our troubles, but through the troubles, God hears the cry and delivers the righteous. In fact, even the promise here is that he... Delivers them out of all their troubles. But what's the condition? Our condition is that we're crying to the Lord. Our condition is that we are, are broken hearted. Uh, our, our condition is that we are, are humble. See, the, the key to overcoming hardships in life and troubles isn't looking to yourself and your own resources. God, God's, God's not interested in helping those who are helping themselves. But rather the key is to, to say, God, I'm powerless. I need your help. The key is to look to the Lord. Only he can save and deliver. And he does. He saves the humble. He saves the crushed in spirit is what this says. And remember back in verse 2, the second phrase there? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Because it's the humble who are truly seeking the Lord and seeking to worship God. And God looks to the humble, Isaiah 66 two. This one is the one to whom I will look. Him who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. And if that's you this morning, if you're humble before God, if, if, you're, if you tremble at God's word, if you're contrite of spirit, you're broken, you're lowly, you consider yourself a poor man, that's exactly the man that God will come and help. See, God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who know that he needs they need the help of God but there is one who God delivered in a spectacular way and he comes in verse 19 many of the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all did you notice the change in grammar at verse 19 did you happen to see that it's not quite as clear in the English text though I looked at all major translations ESV, King James, New King James, New American Standard, NIV, all attempting literal translation in some regards. And they all did this. Do you see the difference, anyone? Singular. Who said that? Virginia? Good. It's singular. Look what it says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You might say the righteous one. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, throughout this whole psalm, it's all been plural. Um, it is verse thir- three, uh, corporate worship, magnify the Lord with me, right? Verse eight and nine, this is a call. Everyone, hey, taste and see, this is a, this is a call to everybody to taste and see. This is a, a fear of the Lord, verse nine. And, and when he gets into the principles of life, he said, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. Like all the righteous people, he's talking about God is listening to their cry. In verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's the plural people. He's going to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, and in the Hebrew that's plural. When the righteous, the Lord hears, and he delivers them. It's a plural he's delivering. But it all changes at verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 18 continues on. 19 is when it changes. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, those who are brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit But then comes the singular. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. I believe in a couple of things. First of all, I I do believe there's poetic license here that, that certainly you can talk about the singular and it extends to the plural. I mean, just for varying up. You can do that, and I think that is true. But there is a way in which this is talking about a singular person with a hint to what took place At the cross of Calvary. Because look at verse 20. He keeps all singular his bones. Not one of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now who is that speaking about? Speaking about Jesus, right? See this isn't a promise. Verse 20 isn't a promise to everybody. That our bones aren't going to be broken. Because you've had broken bones. But there is one. His bones were not broken. John 19, verse 36 says this. I'm going to read the context. John 19, since it was the day of preparation and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water and he who saw it has borne witness and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. Listen to John's appeal. He says, I know it's true and I'm telling you the truth. So believe the truth. He's begging us of you. He's getting on his knees and saying, I'm telling you, this is true. Or today I've heard so many people say, you can't make this stuff up. That these guys had their bones broken, but Jesus didn't have his bones broken. He's saying it's true. He says, why? For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 34, verse 20. Not one of his bones would be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look upon him whom they have pierced. In other words, the piercing is the same one. Zechariah 12 speaks about looking upon Jesus whom they have pierced. But that's another sermon for another day. So, so think about this. Is it here in the Psalm, David's teaching by the Spirit of God, a singular slipped in there to particularly talk us about Jesus? And we can literally look at how all these universal promises of verse 19 applied to Jesus then apply to us in verses 15, 17, and 18 particularly. But look, many are the afflictions of the righteous one. You think about Jesus, right? He was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. He had many afflictions, but it says here that, that God delivered him out of them all. That doesn't mean that all the afflictions were removed from him. The afflictions were, were still there. But the promise is, it said the Lord has delivers him out of them all. How is that? Here it is. Is that there's an ultimate fulfillment. There's a greater deliverance than just here on earth. You might be thinking, I'm talking about all these deliverances upon earth and what God saves on earth. But see, there is this ultimate deliverance that Jesus was delivered from. He was delivered from death because he was delivered because he was raised from the dead. Jesus was delivered from all of his afflictions, from all of his troubles, from all of his anxieties since he had as the son of God. And delivered because he raised from the dead and so likewise us as we walk through this life as we have trials as we have troubles if we have tribulations There is a promise that you will be as a follower of christ delivered from all of them But maybe not in this age Maybe only in the age to come in fact, that's what Verses 20 and 21 speak about Afflictions in this life are going to slay the wicked and again we go back to the Plural the, the, the wicked there is plural. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. See, if you're not fearing God, there will be afflictions in life that you just won't overcome. And they will consume you and destroy you. And if you hate the righteous, condemnation will come your way. But on the flip side of that, verse 22. And this is the good news. It's a gospel, right? The Lord redeems the life of his servants, plural, God redeems us. And none of those who take refuge in Jesus, in Him, will be condemned. None of us who take refuge in God will be condemned. So there's really a summary here in 21 and 22. It says afflictions are heavy and hard. And if you hate the righteous not walking right, they're going to crush you. But if you're a servant, if He's your shepherd, if you're fearing Him, if you're tasting that He is good, if you're exalting the Lord together with David and with all the, the congregation, if, they, if you're walking the righteous life like he calls you to walk and, and following in a, in a way after that, your life will be redeemed, meaning your sins are forgiven at the cross of Christ. And you won't face condemnation. This brings us back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You believe in Christ, there's no condemnation. That's, that's where verse 34 ends is, Bringing us to Jesus 19 and 20 and working that self out. If you believe in him, you'll be redeemed. If you don't believe, there's condemnation that's there. Praise the Lord for redemption, yes? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we are are thankful to you for your grace, your goodness, your kindness to us. God, we, we thank you, God, for this psalm, which was unknown to me the last couple months we've been meditating on it and thinking on it and praying about it talking about it the family and God I, I pray that this message would sink deep into the hearts of all of us especially those who work to memorize this and they see that the words of the psalm just opened up and come to light as they thought and meditated upon these things God comfort us and, and show us that indeed you are the one that delivers that we can take refuge in you and trust in you Thank you, God, that you are good and gracious. Thank you for Christ, God, who is the one to whom we look. God, may we be humble. May we contrite of spirit. May we tremble at Your word. May we be crushed. May we consider ourselves poor men. God, coming to you. God, so may we know the blessing. A blessed is everyone who takes refuge in Him. God, bless this psalm to the life of all of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.